Chapter 57 The afternoon wore on, and Theo appeared to pay Stella no more mind than the chair beneath him or the carpet beneath his feet. Stella felt the stirrings of impatience inside her. His profile, which she had always thought had a strong, even Roman nobility about it, hung slackly, like a flag at half-mast on a windless day. His legs, always so busy walking here and there, had not moved an inch during the time she had been with him. She wanted to shout, Is that the best you can do? But not at Theo. No, for it was she, Stella, who had fallen short. With a hand to each arm of her chair, she got up. Then, mindless of her creaking knees and the narrow space between the window and the chairs, she knelt before him. Once down on the carpet, however, her balance felt so poor that she was glad of the support of the wall beneath the window at her back. Even so, her knees protested as anxiously as unfed cats. <laughs> and so she yanked the cushion from her chair and hummocked it underneath her to pad her joints. All this business of kneeling took an unconscionably, even embarrassingly long time. But it occurred to her that there were a few things a kind man found more charming than a clumsy woman. She felt a sudden bright certainty that her movements would have attracted his attention, and that, she felt strongly, would be an excellent start. Because one thing was certain. She was not leaving upstairs without Theo. But even as she made this determination, a small voice inside her said, you would not be the first woman to outlive her man. In the moment of silence that followed this unwelcome thought, Stella steadied herself. She said aloud, That is an overgeneralization. And anyway, I would not be the first woman to help a man return from a far country either. She felt a trickle of cold down the back of her neck under her jacket. The draft came from the metal-framed, single-glazed window behind her. Always, always, she thought fiercely, it comes down to this. Although it means so well, Fairmount Manor Care Home is working against me. She looked up at Theo, but he didn't look back. He made no sound at all. Had he passed? She forced herself to face the question. Had he left her and all his friends from Corridor Park while she sat at his side and offered no words of comfort or farewell? No, she would not be one of those women who leapt to embrace nasty conclusions. She would bring her intellect to the situation. She knew what she was and she knew what she could do. Look and listen. The small breeze from the window at her back buzzed about her like an insistent tinker bell. Stella focused her attention on Theo's neck above the top button of his yellow cardigan. After a long moment, she thought she saw there the flick 
of a pulse. Perhaps it was a sort of twitching hope that caused her to see it, though. Clap your hands, boys and girls. If every child who believes in fairies claps his hand, then Tinkerbell will live. If she believed, then Theo would live. It worked for Peter Pan. Each time the show was aired, Junie's sweet young eyes glued themselves to the television. Well, Mary Martin, as Peter Pan, rallied her watchers to keep the tiny light alive. Believe. Trusting, like all the parents of her generation, that the world would continue to offer their children improvements and progress in every conceivable direction, from frozen foods to outer space, they had clapped at least as loudly as Junie did. Now, in the upstairs lounge, with the television humming like a nervous audience on the far side of the room, Stella moved her attention to the front of Theo's cardigan. She watched for the rise and fall of his breath. Again, she saw, faintly, what she was looking for. And again, she didn't trust her darned old eyes. She might have reached up a hand to his breast to feel for herself the warmth of lift, the beat of his heart beneath the yellow wool, but she did not. If she touched him, and if her touch caused him to slump to one side, if he fell lifeless to the floor, but if you didn't count blind faith, touching him was the only way to know for sure. She raised her right hand from her knee where it had rested while she made her decision. She looked down at her right palm, which was as flat and pink as it always had been since childhood. She touched Theo's chest and thought she heard the soft, reiterative call of his heart. She had been resting on her poor old knees, and now she rose on them. Like a suitor before his girl, she said, Theo, let me help. I'm good at helping. I've got your chart here. If the problem is that you had a stroke, then they don't know it. I don't think it's a stroke. Though, I think you've got a lot of mind-confusing medication, and you're feeling some kind of heartache and depression at being moved upstairs following your accident. But it might be a stroke. People get through strokes if they have help. I'm here to help. She took a deep breath to give him time to answer. He did not. Soldier on, Stella. Theo, I know I wasn't much more than an anxious fool when I came to Fairmount Manor, but I've worked hard. I've helped other people, Cheryl, the daughter, Sally, and Reliza. Just ask her. I even helped Mrs. McAndrew. She remembered that she had helped Al Alice McAndrew by holding her hand while she died and hurried past that one. Did I mention that I helped Reliza? And with each of the people I've helped, I've grown stronger. She paused, enjoying the way this realization seemed to inflate her mind with wonder. 
All of this has been leading to my being ready to help you. I'll walk with you, talk with you, bring you out of this place. Give me the great pleasure of being able to help you, Theo. Out of breath now, she paused and waited. Nothing. Nothing. Still, no glance from those vacant blue eyes, not a sound from his lips. What more could she do? How could she help him if he couldn't even hear her offer? At last, she said, Then let's go out together, Theo. She had intended it as a gentle ultimatum to utilize the feelings that she was almost sure he had for her. To use at least their friendship. But when her words made no difference, she said them again, more to herself this time. Going out together. It seemed like a good plan. Two residents, two friends, vanishing together. She knew better than to think that one could die just like that to order. But she could sit and stare and think of nothing. It was easy, and somehow this particular thought should have been the most disturbing of all. Not in the least boring. Cassandra spoke from the empty chair on Theo's far side. Stella Ryman, Mad Cassandra said, you are a failure as a sleuth, and you are also the most selfish woman who ever lived. Selfish? Disbelief tightened Stella's shoulders and pricked at her spine, she who always tried so hard to help. To help. She saw her mistake. She made a little noise that she had never before made in her life. She had been blinder than even her unreliable eyesight meant her to be. She had been more unkind, more self-serving, and above all, stupider than she thought she had ever ever been before. Cassandra, you're right. I was selfish. Bloody well, right? Cassandra rumbled. You mean that Theo was helped by the driver of the car that had hit him. He was helped by the doctor who dressed his wounds. Helped upstairs. Helped into this chair. Helped. Hmm. Into complete loss of purpose and happiness, Theo who takes the greatest joy in helping others. Now Stella too, by offering help, was taking that joy from him. Stella turned back to Theo. She tried to recall the words that Cassandra had used to encourage and enliven Stella herself, the words that had brought her back to life. What had they been? With a sudden spark of certainty, she said, Theo, they need you downstairs. There was still no response from Theo, but from the chair on his other side, Cassandra spat one word. Fool! Stella rubbed her hands across her eyes. It was like being an onion, peeled circle after circle. You stripped away a layer of yourself, and there you stood, smaller but much the same as before and smelling of your own lies. She said everything she was aside just for the moment. No, 
for as long as would be needed. And she said, Theo, I need you. Please, help me, please. Chapter 58 As she knelt beneath the window in front of Theo's chair, he looked at her at last. Yes, Theo's damp eyes, rimmed in pink, gazed at her. They held, as always, kindness, but kindness from a certain distance. Although he sat directly in front of the patch of carpet where she knelt, his expression was that of a man who sees an acquaintance on the far side of a busy road and must decide whether to cross and meet her or whether to raise a hand in greeting and continue on his way. This she would not allow. She knew without any help from Mad Cassandra, dead or alive, that if she let Theo go, he would never come back. He would sit here all the rest of the afternoon through tomorrow and all his days thereafter. He would not care, and soon he would die. How to keep him with her? She had told him she needed his help, but she had lied. Oh, she desired his friendship, his company, the touch of his hand on her elbow as they walked together through the corridors of Fairmount Manor. But was desire enough to keep him with her? At what point did desire become true need? Perhaps when she admitted need, admitted it first to herself, she did not want to. Theo, she said at last, I have to tell you the truth about why I came to Fairmount Manor. His gaze was steady but still distant. She couldn't tell whether he was too far away to hear. When I was younger, I took a lodger, she sighed. I'd meant to rent a room in my basement to a young woman teacher. She was to be an exchange teacher from Illinois just for the year. But they sent a young man instead. I almost didn't take him, but the room had a separate entrance, and I was so much older. We fell in love. She had dropped her eyes from him as she spoke, dropped her gaze, and almost lost him. As she looked back up again, she realized that you couldn't look directly into another person's eyes at close quarters for any length of time and tell that person lies. That's not the truth. I'm sorry, she said. That's a lie, Theo. I was the one who fell in love, not both of us. But I believed. Her eyes pricked at the memories. She saw herself standing at the curtained kitchen window, watching her lodger as he sat on her back lawn with a book his long legs stretched out before him. With what care he turned over the page. She observed as well the slight alteration of the angle of his head when he began again to read in the calm, straight line of his mouth. Or perhaps it was none of that. Perhaps his desire for her and her for him arose from simple proximity. Or, stop lying, availability. 
I was available to him, she said, and I thought he was a nice man, you know. Theo's gaze sharpened at last. She bit her lip. And I was lonely. And so it went from time to time. From month to month, I stopped charging him rent. The click of the door behind her lodger in the gray hours of the day. Her refusal to accept any rent money from him. And that would be her downfall. Then, the first night, the lovely red-haired young woman stayed overnight in the basement. Her red shoes, shining in the early morning sunshine, toes pointed towards his bedroom. The click of the door downstairs. Theo muttered something. Stella shook her head. What was that? I didn't hear you. With a quiet click of dry lips opening, Theo spoke. He said, A woman on her own. He closed his eyes for a long moment and then added, Without protection. I thought I didn't need it. But she couldn't go on. It was impossible. How to say what couldn't be explained but only reacted to. She couldn't say another word. She dropped her gaze from his. She got her feet underneath her and used the chair arms to lever herself back into the chair at Theo's side. Her mouth tightened as she stared out the window across the rooftops. She wished now that she could take back her crude little story of lust and inappropriate behavior. She would like to draw it back like an anchor chain, word by word, hand over hand, and sail away from Fairmount Manor and from the lovely man at her side. If, beneath his yellow cashmere sweater, his heart had ever beaten for her, having heard her story, it would never do so again. Chapter 54 She felt a touch on her arm. Theo's hand rested there, so he felt sorry for her. She grimaced. If he felt sympathy for her, then she hadn't told him enough, had she? I thought I didn't need protection, she said. But then he... He hit you? Theo said. Yes. What a tawdry story it sounded. Silly old fool that she was. Silly younger fool that... She had been back then in her early fifties. She remembered the tears on her lodger's face and his plea for understanding when he touched the red place on her face where he'd struck her. It won't happen twice, Stella. Everything happens only once or an infinite number of times. I just needed you to know that I'm real, that I have feelings, that you didn't imagine me. Make me up. Then, while she pressed ice to her cheek, her lodger had added, Please don't ask me to leave. And I didn't. I asked him to stay. Quietly, calmly, Theo interrupted her. It was not the last time he hit you. Stella froze. Even though she had come to save Theo, now she fought the urge to shout at him. She fought a strong desire to leave him sitting there in the 
special care unit lounge. Most difficult of all, she struggled against the lie that rose to her lips. I am not a fool and a coward, so I never let him hit me again. It would almost have been easier to take off her clothes and stand before Theo naked. But she told the truth and swore to herself that she'd never tell him or anybody else the price of shame the truth exacted from her. Because it was not Theo's fault that he was right. He didn't want to be right. He couldn't help it. Matching his quiet tone with her own, she said, No, you're right. It was not the last time he hit me. She told the rest of it, how soon after he had gone away, sneaking off in the night as if afraid she'd ask him for back rent. She cried when her lodger, her lover, left. But she didn't tell Theo that. She kept that bit of dishonor to herself, after all. She simply said, I'd almost forgiven him. Theo gave a little nod. Stella continued, He was gone a long time. Thirty years. She paused because a pause was necessary in the telling. And then he came back. In the silence that followed, Theo turned his head and looked at her. He came back and he said, she struggled to put events into correct order, no, first he wrote. It was a letter all in green ink, he said. As she spoke, she felt Theo's hand tighten on her arm. She went on. He said that in the eyes of the law we had been married, common law, having lived together for the proper length of time without his paying rent in my home or other compensation. As a couple under the same roof, you see, he said that he only wanted what should have been his as my husband. Chapter 60 Stella stared out the window at the treetops, the housetops, and the late afternoon sky. How could Theo help her? The time for help was long past, or rather, the times. For in every story she'd ever read, every mystery, comedy, tragedy, there were moments when choices were made, when intervention, or, at the very least, advice, could change the outcome. A case in point. If only she had talked to somebody on that day thirty years earlier when her lodger had first looked up from his spot on the lawn to see her watching him through the wisteria at her kitchen window. When he had met and held her gaze. Or if she confided in a friend when she had broken her heart over her lodger's affair with the young woman with the bright red shoes. Or if she had run to a friend when he had hit her, or if, upon receiving his letter written in green ink, she had not locked her doors and made herself housebound as the first step on the path to unbearable mental and physical agony. At any of these moments, 
A friend's help might have saved her. But she had spoken to no one. Not a word of her sexual and romantic foolishness, her broken heart, her fear of him. None of these had passed her lips to anyone. You made your bed, Stella. Here at Fairmont, she had made it. And once she had done so, her only plan was to crawl into it, fold her hands across her chest, and die. But nothing in the world is that easy. She sighed, and without intending to, she said what she should have said to a friend thirty years ago when her affair with her lodger turned ugly, and again six months ago when he returned. I don't know what to do, she told Theo, so quietly that she could barely hear him. He asked, what can he take from you now? Everything, she said, or half of everything. Which is? She stared at her hands. There was nothing left for her lodger to take from her. Her house, her belongings, her books. She had sold them all, or given them away, all but that one cheap print that she had bought herself as a child, and a handful of stretchable, washable, warm-up suits in appropriate old lady colors. Her life, everything that was in it and of it and around it, was gone. She had retained only her secret, and now that was gone too. She had outlived possibility, and outcome was all that remained. She said, He could take half of seven pairs of socks and a poor reproduction of a farmhouse and some ducks. Don't forget your toothbrush, Theo said. Despite the strain of the day, Stella couldn't keep from chuckling. Theo smiled at her side and squeezed her hand as the dinner tone sounded. Although it was quite a soft noise, it managed to turn off the television and raise its viewers to their feet. The scattered residents who had been dozing and hopefully dreaming in wheelchairs stirred and looked around as Reliza wheeled the first of them out of the lounge for dinner. As the tone faded, Theo attempted to rise as well, but something was wrong. He sank back down into his seat. As he tried to rise, Stella was about to help him when she recalled Cassandra Browning's warning. She was certain that she should not, must not, help. And yet, as he made his third try, she wondered how long she could possibly hold off. The strain of receiving without giving was unbelievably wearing and carried a sharp edge of panic with it that she found impossible to ignore. Don't worry, Stella told Theo, and more emphatically told herself. Theo grimaced and put both hands flat on his thighs. Following his gaze, Stella saw the dressing that showed beneath the helm, uh, the hem of his right trouser leg above his sock. She had read in his file about his leg injury, but his mental state had been so terrifying that she had nearly forgotten he had been struck and knocked down by an early morning driver. 
It was this driver who had taken Theo to have his leg dressed, and who had made the phone calls that had resulted in his return to Fairmont Manor. It was this driver who had made the complaint to Mrs. Warren that had resulted in Theo being transferred upstairs so that he could no longer wander out of the building into harm's way. She cursed that driver, and as she did so, she became aware of the steady stream of residents walking or being wheeled out of the lounge by one of the nameless deers, and by Reliza upon her return. Reliza, who paused to smile at Stella. When you are old, when you are injured or afraid, it was easy to forget that even for somebody so young as the lovely Reliza, the world was hard. And here came Cheryl through the upstairs lounge door, her calm face belying the terrible financial troubles Stella knew she, the care worker faced. Cheryl was pushing an empty wheelchair, but it was a moment before Stella apprehended that the wheelchair was for Theo. Damnation! It was absolutely the worst thing that Cheryl could do right now, with Theo so close to leaving them forever. All Theo's self-worth came from his remaining self-reliance. The swift strolls through the corridors, the escorting of a lady to her meal. To wheel Theo through the halls, today of all days, would be to take the heart out of him. She stared at Cheryl, so kind and experienced, so thoughtful in very many ways. How could care workers care so much and do such wrong? Why couldn't they understand what it meant to be old? But nobody could understand, not without being there, any more than a person could understand death without experiencing the crossing. Cassandra! Stella shook her head to clear it. No. Cheryl couldn't know how it felt to Theo to be over 80 any more than the director could, or Reliza or the young Dr. Terry. But Stella knew. And Stella was a teacher. A school librarian, yes, but above all a teacher. For 40 years she had explained things to younger people. History, narrative structure, and the five kingdom classification system of biology. She could open Cheryl's eyes. She could make her see. Stella rose and made her way across the special unit lounge. She caught Cheryl seconds before the wheelchair meant for Theo reached him where he sat at the lounge window. And she said, Cheryl, dear, you must take that wheelchair away. Theo must not be helped. He needs to help others, not to be helped. Cheryl stopped and nodded politely, and she said, I'm sorry, Mrs. Ryman, but I don't understand you. Can you explain later, if you don't mind? I need to get Theo down to the dining room, and you mustn't miss your meal either. You and Theo are the energetic sort, thank goodness. You need to keep your caloric intake at a healthy level, especially in stressful times like right now. I'm really worried about him. 
Cheryl began to push the chair again. Quick as thought, Stella moved in front of Cheryl to block. She said, This is more important than food. Theo is a person who helps people. If you take that away from him... Cheryl shook her head and she smiled, her geoconda smile. Healthy body first, don't you see? Then out of that springs a healthy, vigorous mind and spirit. She directed the wheelchair around and passed Stella. What to do now? Stella hurried to catch up. He almost left us today, Cheryl. He's back. Cheryl continued on her way towards Theo. He just wandered away in his mind, but he's safe now. Come walk with us to the dining room, Mrs. Ryman. Keep Theo and me company. You're always so good at helping others. I see it all the time. There was nothing to be done but watch powerlessly as the strong arms and loving swiftness of Cheryl helped Theo with the horizontal awkwardness of moving from his seat at the window into the wheelchair. As Cheryl wheeled him out of the lounge, Stella walked at Theo's side, moving as quickly as she could, while Cheryl slowed down to allow Stella to keep pace. With a feeling that she was going to a condemned man's last supper, no, to an unjustly condemned man's last supper, she began the long walk down the upstairs corridor towards the elevator. What heartbreak! Theo would feel at his entry there, in front of everyone, powerless, in so many ways reduced. If only Cheryl had been able to listen. If only Stella had been better able to explain. If only Stella had been able to help. Oh, damn, she thought, I'm doing it again, helping Theo. She suddenly noticed that Theo had moved his hand when she heard the squeal of the wheelchair's brake mechanism. She jerked forward, but he held on to her with one firm but gentle hand as his chair came to a halt halfway along the upstairs corridor. Conscious of the open doors, the empty rooms to each side, and the white curtains so much like sails at the windows within, Stella stopped. She and Cheryl exchanged a startled look. Theo, what are you doing? Cheryl asked. Theo looked up, and Stella met his eyes. She expected to, at best, see distress there, and at worst, a return to their former emptiness. But, to her wonder, she saw in his eyes the light of humor, the Theoness that she so enjoyed, that she admired. And she said, Theo? He didn't answer, but one thin, gnarled hand patted his thigh. <laughs> Stella looked from his thigh up to his face, then back down to his lap, and Stella saw. She realized what it was that Theo wanted her to do. With care, she climbed up onto Theo's lap. She gave herself up to his support and friendship. As Cheryl, unprotesting, 
wheeled them along the corridor and into the elevator that would take them downstairs.